Hey, welcome to Theology for the People. This is Pastor Nick Katie. I'm joined again by Pastor Michael Payne. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you doing? And today we're talking about a topic which has come up, I'd say, numerous times, you know, in, in my circles and things that I've heard. And, and my view on it's probably shifted a little bit over time and become, yeah, I guess, more broad, but uh, in my understanding. And that, that would be this question of, does God hate religion? Does God hate religion? I remember this came up in a community group gathering that I was in a while back, and it seemed like everybody uh, other than me was kind of of the same mind, which is, well, of course God hates religion, and Christianity is not a religion. It's a it's about a relationship, and we've all heard that, and I think that um, there's truth in that, and we want to talk about that. But um, I think everybody was surprised when I said, well, hang on a second. I'm not 100% sure that God hates religion and that we can just say that as a categorical statement. And so I wanted to discuss this with you because I think, again, this is, I remember a few years ago, I think it was maybe like 10 years ago, there was this YouTube video that was very popular. It was by a person named Jefferson Bethke. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. But anyway, he had a, a pretty popular YouTube video that was about Jesus and religion. It was called Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. And, you know, this video um, has been viewed millions and millions of times. In fact, I think this video might have launched him into, you know, kind of superstardom. I know that he started a ministry after this. And what's interesting is he kind of he kind of uh, backpedaled on this on the statements that he made in this video after he was challenged about them by different theologians and and you know he was super gracious about it. I read kind of the interactions between him and different people and this guy Jefferson Bethke he to his credit he's just a super humble guy and um, seems like his heart's really in the right place. But the reason why some people kind of kind of said, hey, hang on a second, you know, because this video became very popular, is because he's essentially pitting um, Jesus against religion, saying Christianity isn't a religion, et cetera, et cetera. And some people would say, well, maybe, maybe the things you're saying are correct, but the words you're using are a bit misleading or mis misguided. And so the idea of, you know, does God hate religion? Did Jesus come to abolish religion? These are the questions. And um, as I was discussing this, I think we should kind of discuss some of the things that he claims in this video, but also discuss some of the, the things that people brought to me um, when, you know, they were surprised that I would say that God doesn't necessarily hate religion. And they said, well, what about these verses? So first of all, how about we talk about the verses first, and then let's talk about the lines in his video. But then, Mike, you also have an article that you found that, that had some, some things in it about why God hates religion. And so let's kind of try and land where we can with this. Um, first of all, before we get into this, let's talk about what is religion. So you had a definition. Well, yeah. So I just kind of looked up, you know, the a definition, the Oxford definition, which is kind of the commonly accepted, it seems. Uh, and, and basically, it's the belief in and the worship of superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God or God's. Uh, and that kind of has a couple subcategories, a particular system of faith and worship, you know, like the world's religions, or it could be a pursuit or interest to which, you know, someone ascribes supreme importance, like the idea that consumerism is like uh, the new religion. So that's kind of the, uh, you know, what I think people would generally think of, of what religion, religion is, um, though I think a lot of people bring a lot of baggage to the definition when you... 
you know, in, in church circles or in secular circles, if you bring up the word religion, I don't necessarily think so, some of this maybe comes up, but I think people bring a lot of baggage to this particular definition. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about how the word's used in the Bible. I think this is pretty interesting. The word religion occurs five times in the English Standard Version of the Bible. And by itself, it's, it seems to be an entirely neutral word. So here are the five uses. It's used in Acts 26, verse 5, to refer to Judaism. So Judaism's called a religion. It's referred to Jewish Christian faith, uh, meaning Christianity practiced by Jewish people. Uh, that is in Acts 25, verse 19. Then uh, religion is said to be bad when it is self-made. Paul says that in Colossians 2, verse 23. Uh, religion fails to tame the tongue, according to James 1, 26. But religion can also be good when it cares for widows and orphans and when it practices moral purity. And that's found in James chapter 1, verse 27. So it seems uh, that the word is used in many ways, um, and so it's kind of, kind of seems like by itself it, it's it's a neutral word, right? The Bible doesn't say it's bad. In fact, it calls Christianity a religion, it calls Judaism a religion. It also points out that religion, in some ways, ha lacks power, but there's also a form of religion that is good and pleasing to God our Father, right? So um, th those are the uses of it. Now, here's an interesting thought, and this, is, this comes from Tim Challies and Ted Kluck wrote a book, um, and this was an excerpt from it. And they said this about Jesus, referring to the fact that Jesus did religious practices. So here's what he says. Jesus was a Jew. He went to services at the synagogue. He observed Jewish holy days. He did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them, Matthew 5, 17. He founded the church, Matthew 16, verse 18. He also established a practice of church discipline, which is Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. Then he instituted a ritual meal. That would be the Lord's Supper. You can read about that in Matthew 26. He told his disciples to baptize each other. So he instituted uh, a practice that was to be repeated. And um, he taught other, he, he told his disciples to teach others to obey everything that he taught and commanded. That was in Matthew 28. Then he insisted that people believe in him and that they believe certain things about him. And so if religion is characterized by doctrine, commands, and rituals, and structure, then Jesus is not the go-to guy for hating religion, is what Chalice and Cluck say. And, um, and so that's kind of their, their thesis on, does Jesus hate religion? Well, they'd say, well, you might be kind of overstating what you're trying to say. So let's get to this idea of what do people mean when they say that God hates religion? And I'll show you the, the two verses that were given to me um, as kind of like, are these proof texts that God maybe hate, does hate religion? I'll talk about them. And then let's talk about some of these claims from the, the article you got and the video that I've, I've got in front of me here. So the verses that were sent to me were Amos chapter 5 and Isaiah chapter 1, particularly Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 16. And Isaiah chapter 1, 11 through 16 is actually really similar to what Amos 5 says. And basically what they say, um, God says, I hate your solemn gatherings. I hate your sacrifices. I hate your songs, right? I just can't stand it when you do these things. Do you happen to have those verses there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right here we have, it says, um, 
uh, verse starting in verse 11, what is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've, I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me, new moon and Sabbath and the calling of con- convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly, you know. You know, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. <laughs> mm-hmm. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. You know, yeah. So God doesn't like those things. That Not doing. at all. It doesn't seem that way. <laughs> no, he seems to hate that. Yeah. So does that mean that God hates religion? Well, uh, again, Jesus did many ritualistic practices. Furthermore, I would go so far as to say that what we have in the gospel where with atonement, Jesus coming and dying for our sins so that we could be forgiven and so we could be reconciled to God, etc., th- this is actually a religious act. He's fulfilling a religious act which we were incapable of fulfilling on our own. Now, so why would God say that he hates this thing? And here's what's interesting about this passage that tells me there must be something more to the story than just the fact that God hates these things in general. And that is that um, God is the one who instituted these things in the first place. So on the one hand, God tells his people, do these things. And it would seem a bit strange then for God to come back later on and say, I hate it when you do those things that I told you to do in the first place. So what is the extra factor here, right? What what is what is changed? Well, what changed, we know for sure in the case of Amos particularly, and we actually know in Isaiah as well, that the issue was that the people, they were essentially doing these religious practices in, as a form of self-justification. Um, and at the same time, they were doing things that were out, very wicked. In other words, they were hypocritical. Right, So on the one hand, like in the book of Amos, they weren't caring for the poor. They were even exploiting the poor and taking advantage of other people and then showing up at church on Sunday, if you will, and thinking that God was pleased with them because they made sacrifices and sang songs. And God says, hang on, I, I want your heart before I want what's in your hands. And that's a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. Uh, really important theme that God is much more concerned with what is in your heart than he is with what's in your hands. Now, on the other hand, what you do with your hands often reveals what's in your heart. It's when there seems to be a separation between the two, right? So you're, you're doing something, your heart is in a, is very distant from God. And yet you, you're, you're doing religious practices as a way of trying to justify yourself and feel good about yourself, that you're ticking the boxes before God. And God says, no, 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 that is not how it works. Does that add up to you? Oh, I, I totally, I, I totally. And I think, you know, just from those passages, and I think some of what, what I think what people are pushing back against is that, is the hypocrisy that's inherent many times in that. And you, you just said it with the atonement. We could not... We could not in ourselves fulfill the law. It had to be done by Jesus in order us for, in order for us to be able to come back into the presence of God for that relationship to be mended. It had to be done by Jesus. We could not. And inherent in that is the hypocrisy of us trying to follow rules that we cannot follow. And I think, 
I think what has happened over time is that the word hypocrisy and the word religion have become synonymous with each other. You know, when people think of religion, they they immediately think of hypocrisy. And 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 I, uh, you know, that you were talking about the, uh, an article I found that just in the New York Times, they had done an article called "Why People Hate Religion." And the writer says that that the people hate religion. They they equate religion with those phonies, the charlatans who wave Bibles, the theatrically pious, and they you know these are the these are the people that they equate religion with. Those that don't necessarily live up to what they are you know that they're actually talking about what they're telling you are doing this wrong you're doing this wrong. But of course, we've over the years seen so many people famous preachers and teachers you know fall you know and and bring shame to the the name of god on tv as they railed against sexual immorality or this or that and then it finds out they've had you know you know a number of you know mistresses on the side and these kind of things and people like you see you see that's what i'm talking about that's religion and i hate that and god hates that you know and so but but yeah, as you saying, is it really religion? Is that is that the word we're talking about, or is it the hypocrisy? Because as you said in these the Isaiah one and Amos, God says, "I hate your feasts. I hate I hate these things I've told you to do." Well, obviously, then there's something else there that that God God is coming against, and that's as you said, the people are. They're not coming there with a proper heart. They're not coming with a heart humble before the Lord. They they feel like these rituals is are going to bring them, you know, um, before the God, and they're going to be totally fine if I just follow these rules, and that's fine. Which, of course, has kind of led us to the idea of relationship versus religion, and and uh, in many ways, you know, that is true of Christianity. It, it is a relationship. It's not a religion. It's not a it's not a system of rules that if we follow, we will we will be able to you know come into heaven or be in the presence of God or have a relationship with God like that through these rules. It's that relationship with Jesus Christ. The fact that he, yes, he has fulfilled the law, fulfilled the rules on our behalf so that we now can come in to to the presence of God and have that relationship with the Lord mended. And out of that, out of that mercy and that grace, we then can live lives in obedience and in submission out of true joy because of the love that God has first shown us, you know. So it is that's the the you know what we're talking about. Yeah, so when we say, you know, this kind of common phrase, maybe maybe even cliche, right, where we say that um, Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship. I think that's that's pretty important. I think it reflects something that's really true. And what it what it reflects, I think, is that um, when we talk about Christianity, there's something inherently different about Christianity than all other belief systems, all other religions in the world. Now, does that mean that Christianity is not a religion? I don't know, but um, it, it definitely is unique and different. And, and the thing that makes it unique and different is the heart of what we celebrate as the gospel. And that is that every other religion out there essentially says, here is the way to justify yourself, the way to save yourself, do these things, tick these boxes. And no matter how you you 
are in your heart, no matter what motivates you, as long as you do these things, uh, you know, you can earn God's favor, you can manipulate God into blessing you. And Christianity would say, no, 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 that's completely backwards. Uh, rather, it is that God places his love upon you. God has done everything to welcome you into relationship with him. And the essence of Christianity is walking with God in relationship with him. But to, to say that that's pitted against maybe like the, even the Old Testament, it wouldn't be the case because we see that even before the law came into being in the Old Testament, we see that uh, Abraham walked with God, right? We see that Enoch walked with God. We see a a Adam and Eve walking with God before sin came into the world, um, before the law came in, you know, and that we see that the purpose of the law, as Paul points out, was never at any point ever to be just to be just that we would be justified by it or we justify ourselves by it rather the law serves as a teacher which shows us that we cannot justify ourselves that we need a savior that we desperately need God's grace and mercy and the way to receive that is through faith in what God has his plan of salvation for us and that because of what Jesus did, he's removed the barrier that existed between us and God so we can be in relationship. And so I think that, yeah, emphasizing relationships is a really big deal. And and what that phrase uh, gets to is something really true, which is that there's something about Christianity which is absolutely different than all other uh, belief system and faith in the world. Paul talks about it in Romans 10, right? He says, it's not that God is up here and you need to work your way up to him, nor is it God's down here and you need to, you know, dig your way down to him, but God has come to you uh, in order to save you. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I've talked about this before, but I think many times the church is, is their worst enemy, you know, and I, you know, I've been in ministry. I, I guess I said last episode, I grew up in the church. I'm the church's worst critic when it comes to these kind of things that many times we shoot our own selves in the feet with this kind of thing. When we, we, we create these phrases and we don't necessarily explain them and we forget the baggage that people bring to the definitions. And one of those I think is relationship versus religion that 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 uh, Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. And as you said, it pits it just by definition, by the phraseology, pits the one against the other, you know, and and what happens is that when people come to that particular phrase, they they bring their own version of that their definition, and they they'll throw out, you know, okay, it's not a religion. Well, we're going to throw out the rules then, and as as you well said from that article. Jesus instituted quite a few rules. Mm -hmm. And when in life do we not have rules? When in, in a marriage, there are rules. There are ways that you deal with. There are things you don't do with your wife. There are things you don't do with your kids. There are things you do do. You know, we follow structure. We follow... Yet, but when people come to religion or come to God and these things, well, these things don't matter. But they they do matter. And it's the way life is. The way life is structured is that we... We have rules, but okay, well, it's not a religion. We'll throw all of that out, and we're going to have a relationship. Well, what defines your relationship? Mm. Well, it doesn't. it's not defined by rules. I just feel good about God, and God feels good about me, and my God lets me do what I want to do. That's my relationship because that's how I roll. You we're know? bros. We're bros, you know. <laughs> yeah. Jesus is my, yeah. He's my, you know, he's my friend, you know, and those kind of things. You know, yeah. we take, and you see that it starts to permeate Christianity, starts to permeate the liturgy within church and stuff like these kind of things where where empirical truth starts to disappear because well it's a relationship and well 
what you know your your relationship with God is defined by your relationships with other people, not by the truth of Scripture. Because while well, we've thrown that out, because that's quote end quotes religious, you know, and I think the church has done itself a disservice by maybe pushing a narrative that I'm not necessarily. I think in its, you know, when it first started, I guess we we're pitting the idea of religion against other religions, and as you said, what defines Christianity or sets it apart is that Christianity is that relationship. And it is a relationship that God was the aggressor and he was pursuing man where the majority of the world's relation, uh, you know, uh, religions is man is the aggressor trying to pursue God. And that's the huge difference. And, and, and within that relationship with the Lord, what have, what, because of what he's done for us, we now, you know, reciprocate by, by, by loving him and by doing what he's asked us to do and by obedience and by, you know, living the lives that he's called us to live. And so sometimes we just ask the wrong questions, mm, I think, yeah. you know, in this, in this, this whole thing with religion or relationship. Man, and the thing about you're saying about how God pursues us, it just reminds me of a passage I'm studying right now, which is, um, which is John 21, where you remember Peter has denied Jesus three times. He sinned. He thought, maybe there's no way back from this. You know, Maybe Jesus will accept me, but he'll never let me be a leader again. Whatever Peter might have been thinking, we see that Jesus comes and Jesus pursues Peter to be reconciled to him, which is so incredible because Jesus is the offended party here. And yet he is the one pursuing Peter and it's just, that's a picture of, of the gospel. And it was just, it's so cool. But that aside, <laughs> uh, to what you're saying about, you know, this isn't something new to our culture today. This mm -hmm. is something which is existed in the early church. It's it's in the pages of the New Testament. We see it that people were like, oh, cool. This is, you know, this is something totally different. And maybe there's no rules because I have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, with the Corinthian church, right? Mm -hmm. Christians gone wild. They were like, yeah. okay, cool. No rules. Hey, I'm just going to go sleep with my, uh, my dad's wife, right? Okay. And What's wrong with that? And everybody in the church was like patting themselves on yeah. the back because like, grace, they, dude. Yeah. Grace, man. They were like, oh, this is great. You know, we're so tolerant. Look at us, man. We're just so, we're just living in the grace, right? And, and Paul had to say, hey, hey, come on. That stuff's not even like acceptable among heathens, right? Even heathens look at that and they're like, oh, that's, that's too much. And he says, no, no, no. There, there are standards, right? He says, you know, people who do these things will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. That's the context for which Paul says this list of people who are not going to take part in the kingdom of heaven. He He's talking to a group of people who were like, hey, what's the big deal? It's all grace, bro. And the other one that I find really interesting is in Acts chapter five, where you've got Ananias and Sapphira. They come in and they do this big you know, what do they call it? Horse and pony, dog mm -hmm. and pony show, right? Where they're, they're like, uh, hey, oh, we sold this land. We brought all the money, such a huge sacrifice on our part, but we're doing it because, you know, we're, we're, we love the Lord. We love you guys. And they're lying, right? They, they're lying. And so they, Peter calls them out on it and they, they die, right? God kills them right in there. And, and, um, and it's like, whoa, that means there is a rule and the rule is, don't lie and don't lie to the Holy Spirit. Don't lie to the church. And, and then they, there's a consequence for it. Right. So, so there we see there, there are standards, there are rules and there are consequences for them. And, um, and I, 
to your point, that's an example of the fact that what God hates is hypocrisy. Yeah, and, and also in the Corinthians, the other example I think we were talking about was, was uh, communion. Paul says, don't take communion in an unworthy way. Oh, right. Yeah, so obviously there's a right way to take communion, there's a wrong way to yes. take communion, and they were taking it in the wrong way. It was becoming a drunken party, and whatever they were doing, they were not you know, showing the proper respect when, mm. when Jesus, as you said, instituted this thing of the Lord's Supper to be celebrated by the church in a mm-hmm. regular manner, you know, they were doing it in the wrong way. So there was obviously a right way and a wrong way. And is that being religious, you know, to, to, to make sure that we're taking communion in a way that is worthy of, of the sacrifice that Jesus, you know, mm. did on our behalf, you know, that, you know, is that religion or is that relationship, you know? So it, be, you know, it be, starts to muddy the waters between, between the two, you know. Yeah. And Timothy Keller, he he discusses this, and he says, "Well, uh, if you look at all religions, and you consider the fact that Christianity is something different, then maybe that's the way to think about it." He says, "Christianity is neither a religion nor is it irreligion, but it is something completely different. It's a third way, a way of grace, and maybe that's a better terminology to use." Because um, I'll, I'll read you some lines from this YouTube video, and um, and. The conclusion from this, I think, is that what Jefferson Bethke is saying is correct, but maybe the word he's using is misleading or misguided. Maybe the better term for it would be hypocrisy or maybe something along the lines of false religion. So here's some of the things he says. He says, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Okay, let's stop there. Um, Okay, have wars been fought over religion? Yes. Have wars been fought over other things? Yes. And let's not forget that many of the religious wars that were started, the the war was not as much over religion as it was the fact that religion had been conflated or mixed together with politics and imperial, you know, agendas and things like that. So, you know, wars have also been fought over um, communism. They've been fought over economic things have been fought over borders, ethnic conflicts, which have absolutely nothing to do with religion. I mean, if you look at uh, war right now going on in Ukraine, I mean, these are people who, uh, the people in these regions, they, they are of the same religion, right? And um, so then he goes on, you know, why does religion build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Again, that's the issue of hypocrisy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I would also say, that while churches have built huge buildings, I don't think they've failed to feed the poor. I mean, if you if you would look statistically at the history of charity work worldwide, what you'll find is that Christianity has done, you know, the reason why we have hospitals, particularly like when, when you started seeing hospitals in the third world, and we see hospitals in Asia in the past centuries, they were started by Christian missionaries, right? The reason why our, all our hospitals have names like Presbyterian and Lutheran Hospital and stuff like that is because this is something that Christians did. We went in, we, we were on the front lines of dealing with things. There's an amazing story, Mary Slessor in Africa, saving uh Orphan, what were these were children who were being killed in certain tribes because they were twins. They had this belief about twins being killed. They were going in, she would go in and she just adopted all these kids and raised them, saved their lives. There's so many stories like this, you know, of, of orphanages. I mean, orphan ministry 
is really at the heart of Christianity. And, uh, you know, I, well, we've talked about this in the past in different sermon series, but even in the earliest days of Christianity, um, the Romans were writing about how Christians were going and rescuing these babies who they were abandoning, committing an infanticide by abandoning the children in the woods to be eaten by wild animals if they didn't want them, if they were disabled or if they were women, you know, female children would sometimes just be discarded. And so, uh, yeah, I think that um, that maybe doesn't give enough credit to what Christians have done. Um, you know, here's another one. Tell single moms that God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce. Um, man, I I don't, maybe there are churches out there that do that, but not. Oh, there are. And, yeah. and, and I've, you know, I've known a few that do do that, especially, you know, if you've had a divorce, you can never be in a ministry and mm-hmm. those kind of things. And, is that religious? Yeah, I would say it's probably that's bad, bad religion, you know, yeah. in a sense. Yeah. And and I think, yeah, Jesus had that whole thing about, hey, you're you're making up rules. You're drawing lines that God didn't draw. You're you're placing burdens on people's backs that you yourselves don't even carry, you know, when he was talking to the Pharisees. Um, and then he says, in the Old Testament, God actually called religious people whores. Um, did he call religious people whores? He called hypocritical people whores. He's referring to Amos. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, I'll read you one more line, and then I want to hear what your article says And uh, right as we end. So, uh, he says, religion might preach grace, but they practice something else. Um, he says, religion can't fix their problems, so they just mask it. And not realizing that religion is like spraying perfume on a casket. The problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification like a long list of chores. Dress up the outside, make, make it look nice and neat, but it's funny that what they used to do to mummies, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. What do you think of that? Well, you know, that just gets me back to the definition of what religion is. I would say your definition of religion is predicated on where you start it. So if it's, if you start and you, and you're pursuing a God without grace through Jesus, then your religion is bad and it's going to get you nowhere. But if you pursue religion, which is the definition, it's the pursuit, the worship of a supreme being, the pursuit of something extremely important. If that starts at your salvation and repentance and belief that Jesus paid for your sin and you you fell short of the glory, you were a hypocrite and you needed salvation, if that's your starting point, then your religion's great. I mean, it's a pursuit of God. It's a worship of God. It's a desire to please the one that has saved you from impending death and separation from God for eternity. Here's here's yeah. one example I've used sometimes. Uh, I'll say, if I know that it makes my wife happy if I do the dishes, well, then I can do the dishes for two reasons, can't I? I can do the dishes on the one hand as an attempt to manipulate her. Because I can say, she likes it when I do dishes, so if I want something from her, then I'll do the dishes as a way to make her owe it to me, right? She'll have to do what I want her to do because she saw what I did for her. Or I could say, my wife loves it when I do the dishes, therefore, knowing that that is something that pleases her, I am going to do it because I love her and I want to bless her. Those are two very different motivations for the same action. And I think that that's what we're talking about here, right? Like you can do certain things 
for the right motivation or for a wrong motivation. If your motivation is to manipulate God and make him a debtor to you, that's absolutely the wrong motivation. But if it is, like you're saying, that I, I see that God has loved me and I see that God likes it, likes these things, I'm going to do those things because I love him because he first loved me. Yeah, and, and all, those, all those things that he's asking us to do, are they for his pleasure per se or for our benefit? Mm. I mean, does oh, God ask point. us to do things that is detrimental to us? Right. No, he's asking us to do things that are giving us a better quality of life. Yeah. You know, a, a better outlook on life. They're, they're going to improve us as human beings and, and make us into the people that he wants to use to 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 preach the gospel to, to those that we come be the fragrance of Christ. It's not, he's not, it's like, I want you to do this now, these rules, and you're going to, you know, and then go to your room or whatever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's like the uh, Garden of Eden. I always yeah. think this is such an interesting story because right, God's like, hey, there's two trees here. This one will, will taste great and make you live forever or this one will kill you. Hey, so don't eat from the one that'll kill you, okay? And they're like, well, I don't know. I don't want to be religious about this. Yeah, I'm so, going to go ahead and do that thing you told me not to do. To do right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's... Yeah. And that's kind of what, you know, what we're talking about. And we're just going back to that, that definition is that I want to pursue God. I want to pursue the one supreme being who's God of all gods, Lord of lords, king above all kings, you know, and that's what I want my life to be, my life pursuit to be about. And if that is considered religion, then I am religious, you know, but it's predicated on a relationship that God started with me, not that I started with him. You know, as him being the aggressor, as as you said in Peter, you know, Jesus being the aggressor in, in seeking reconciliation for Peter, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, that's just that. That's absolutely amazing, you mm -hmm. know, to think think that through, you know. And so I think sometimes we get caught up in all the semantics of these words and things, and maybe it's we're trying to prove something to the outside world, but maybe it's not the questions or the statements we need to be making, but the statements of our lives. And if there's anything, let's own it. We, we as a church, as a whole, we have been hypocritical and we have through the centuries been hypocritical. Let's own that and, 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 and uh, go past it. On, you know, by the power of the Spirit living in through our lives, seeking forgiveness when we need to, seeking reconciliation with those that we hurt in the outside world, being that, you know, being that picture of Christ to the world instead of getting caught up in all these little phraseologies about religion or relationship. Go out there and be, be the relationship to the people, you know, and, and let them you know, have to backtrack from there. You're a hypocrite. You're, you know, a Pharisee. You're this, you're that, you know, and, and let them see Jesus, you know. And we've seen so many examples. That's just the best way of preaching the gospel is living the gospel and being that relationship, that relationship God started with you. Now you start that relationship with others, you know, on uh, based on the gospel and just loving them, you know. And and I think that's that's what God's calling, calling us to do. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. And I generally try to just avoid the word because it kind of seems like people who don't um, who don't believe, they just kind of say, well, you know, all religions basically the same and I don't like any of them. And then people who do believe, they're like, wait a second, isn't religion a bad word? And so I just try to avoid the, the thing in, in general. But I think it's a good discussion to have. Um, 
but I do, I do get where Christians are coming from when they want to point out to people. They're wanting to distance themselves from the bad things that people mm. have done. Oh, ex- yeah, I totally agree. Totally and agree. they are wanting to point out that there is a, a very real difference between Christianity and everything else that's called mm. religion. Yeah, no, I completely, I completely agree with that. And I think it's important that we define our terms, especially nowadays. I think a lot of words that we've used over the years, they just the meaning has changed, and a lot of things have been attached to them. Baggage has been added and stuff like that. And and when you say these kind of things, it's it's important that you take the time to, you know, instead of being we're in this Twitter verse where everything has to be so many characters, that you take the time, you know, to define for your listener, for whoever you're talking to what it is that you're trying to say and what it actually truly means because, you know, semantics, it's, it's important, you know, it's important. Yeah. Well, cool. My, I think we had a good discussion. So, hey, thanks for being here with us and thank you for listening today. I just want to ask you if you haven't done so yet, go over and, and especially if you listen on the Apple Podcast app, give us a review, preferably five-star review. My friend told me the other day, he goes, I went and gave you a review and he goes, uh, it was three stars. And I'm like, no, no, no. And he goes, no, 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 it was five stars. I'm like, okay, well, thank you. You know, so uh, yeah, you know, give us a five-star review and leave us a comment or a, uh, a review, written review. If you write a written review, that really helps boost in in their system, this podcast, get it before more people. I think we're answering some questions that people are really asking. So if you know somebody who would benefit from this, please share it with them. That would mean a lot to, to me. And uh, you can always check out the blog, nickkitty.com org or just google theology for the people and we'll see you next time